Welcome to Cloudlandia. This call may be recorded or transcribed. I wouldn't have it any other way. Welcome, Mr. Cloudlandia. Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson. How are you, sir? Yeah, well, the w- very pleasant woman who, invite, you know, I was the first one on today, and she said, you're the first one to join the call. The others mm-hmm. will jo- join pretty soon. And so far, in about seven years, only one person has shown up. So I want to know who <laughs> the others are. Exactly. <laughs> is, is this the National Security Agency? Is this the Communist Party of China? I'm, t- I'm just trying to get a handle on who the others are. <laughs> I think you're probably right. Once two or more gathered, then everybody is uh, yeah, they're alerted. <laughs> yeah. But I found sure. that just the two of us is more than enough. That's the truth. Well, I am excited to hear about all of your adventures here. You've been uh, you've been all over the world here. Seems like you've been in Chicago. You've been in most excitingly Buenos Aires. Yes, I'm excited to hear all about the adventure here. Yeah, well, as far as Chicago goes, I missed the bullets, so that's all I can mm. report on. You know, <laughs> we're not. We're not in the part of the city that's in a crossfire zone. But anyway, uh, yeah, Buenos Aires was interesting. It's only the second time I've been to South America. And the first Mm -hmm. time was just to land in Ecuador, coast city in Ecuador. And then we took a flight to the Galapagos Islands. And Uh this was as the guest of Richard Rossi, who put together, you know, a gathering that yeah. went uh, to the Galapagos Islands and, you know, the plane lands in one of the islands and then you take a, a National Geographic boat. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's Lindblad and National Geographic. And then, you know, we investigated all the sea life and the animal life, which are, you know, very distinct from what's found elsewhere. And that was great. But it was mostly just hanging out with a uh, whole bunch of people that were interesting to talk mm-hmm. to. So that's only the first time, and that was a long time ago. And then we, just to create the setting here, the context, again, as a result of being a guest of Richard Roth, he has a mastermind group, which is called Da Vinci 50. And Babs mm-hmm. and I, it took us two or three years to get our schedule right so that we could guarantee our attendance at all the different uh, meetings. But in the very first one, this was in New Orleans. This was last January. I met a, mm-hmm. a doctor, Babs and I met a doctor there from Buenos Aires by the name of Gustavo Mobilia. And and he ha- told a story about what he's doing with stem cells. And these are your own stem cells, white blood cells and fat cells, that mm-hmm. if you collect them and then send them It's not an entirely easy process to get them to Argentina, but we got them there. And he then converts them into the the stem cells that you're Mm -hmm. having a problem with in your body. And I had an orthopedic injury in 1975. I tore my cartilage in the left knee. And in those days, Mm -hmm. they would take out the torn cartilage. They wouldn't do that today. But that's, you know, that was the best that was going 48 years ago. And he said, oh, we can regrow your cartilage. He said, we can, the part that was snipped out, we can regrow that cartilage. And Uh I said, that's cool. 
That's cool. Yeah, and exactly. I, was, I was convinced. And Babs has a chronically inflamed right toe that really impedes a lot of her walking, her exercise. And uh-huh. it's inflamed bones. So I didn't know that bones got inflamed. But it shows up on MRIs when you do an MRI. Mm-hmm. So long story short, through Dr. Hase, who's our main um, medical guide and explorer mm-hmm. for us in Nashville, Tennessee, he's got a clinic there called Maxwell Clinic. He did all the, you know, the coordination for us to, you know, make sure that all our stem cells were there, make sure that the they turn it into a magic potion. I, I don't know too much more about it. And he arranged with for our trip down. So we went, this is, so yesterday was Saturday. We're talking on Sunday. So it was two, two Saturdays ago. We took an overnight flight to Buenos Aires, where it's now springtime because they're in the other hemisphere. Yeah, it's more complicated than I'm telling you, but that's the upshot of it for the week. Mm-hmm. And and so as far as the you know the brain cells and the vascular cells, the only thing I can say, and I have to be, I think I have to be cautious here, but because I have like a lot of entrepreneurs do, I have the ability to create my own placebos. Right. Yeah. Okay. So all I can say, I've come back after the trip, and we had we came back after seven days. And and this week, I have felt more energized and more confident than I can remember recently. Sounds like quite an adventure. And the upside yeah. is going to be, the upside is going to be total new development of cartilage in your knee specifically. Second, what's the hope? for it? Like, are you going to have the knees of a preteen Swedish boy, or are you going to just have the normal knees of a 79-year-old? Well, basically, yeah, I'll basically have the, basically the knee I had before the injury. Okay. Okay. So that's 48 years. So six months. And the orthopedic is pretty easy for them. I mean, they're doing some advanced work in other parts of the body, but the cartilage is, you know, it's pretty, it's not a, complicated thing. Right. But what happens is they take my blood cells and my fat cells and they essentially turn it into new cartilage cells. And that's, you know, that's what stem cells are that... How do they gather them? Yeah, well, it's, this was all done in Nashville. And Mm -hmm. so what they do is they, you know, it's, it's basically a centrifuge and you have an IV in both arms and the blood t- gets taken out and uh, it's and they take the white blood cells out and then okay. you know simultaneously they're taking blood out and they're returning it to the body but they're taking the white blood cells which is far far less of your blood than your red blood cells okay, okay. It's, uh, actually it was like a two-hour two-hour session, and it was like a cupful, you know, after a big cup, a big mug full. And so that's the white blood cells. And then the fat cells, you go to a plastic surgeon because they're used to taking, you know, it's part of plastic surgery of taking out fat cells. And so, and you get enough, they're, they're told how much of each are required for them to 
basically do a year's worth of, you know, we're going to go down probably four times during the next 12 months, starting with yeah. the first trip two weeks ago. And they'll uh-huh. have enough just from that one <clears throat> extraction, extraction of yeah. both. They'll have enough. So next time I go down, I broke both my Achilles tendons in mm-hmm. the 1970s. That was a bad decade. Uh, my the 1970s were just a really bad uh-huh. decade anyway. So anyway, and the, structurally, I mean, they're shortened because of the surgery. The tendons are mm-hmm. shorter, but they've developed calcification, oh, uh, yeah. which reduces flexibility and it's got pain attached to it. So next time they'll take my same fat cells and white blood cells and they'll turn it into something that gets rid of all the calcification in my, in my tendons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and that'll give me more push off. It'll give me more flexibility to go along with the new cartilage. So, I, I think probably, you know, probably I'll be gaining back about thirty or forty years of of running ability out of my legs. You know, given Daniel, <laughs> given Daniel White a run for his money. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just want to run again. <laughs> I enjoy running, okay. and I haven't been. And it's been too painful to do for the last 10 years. And then the whole thing is the overall, the direct injection, you're just going after a particular issue. But the IV, it goes into your brain and it looks for anywhere where your brain cells are not performing correctly and it wakes them up. Uh, So the stem cells don't cure anything. They just wake up the natural cells that are there and they start growing again. And the same thing with the vac- vascular system. That's your. But I, I would say that knowing that now I have the means to repair anything in my body as soon as it's identified as a problem is very confidence. It's very confidence building. You know, it's very. Mm-hmm. And I was noticing that I had sort of bought into sort of, well, I know I'm wearing down. And I know that there's an end to it at some point. But I hadn't realized how much that was until I got the other thought that, no, almost anything that's going wrong with you, you can repair now and you can rejuvenate it. And so that's a that's a huge confidence builder. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, perfectly timely, right, as you're entering into you know, in uh, my ninth decade. The, yeah, exactly. Entering into your ninth decade with a goal of it being the best decade ever, which I love yeah. that, that framework, by the way. Um, and at a time when normally it would be, you know, physical deterioration happening, you're at like physical rejuvenation. You're going backwards on yeah, those things. I so. mean, yeah, you know, the. There's so many factors that are involved in uh, aging, and some of it is just the fact that your cells only reproduce 50 times, okay? There's a thing which is called the Hayflick barrier. This is a, I don't know quite what kind of scientist he was, but he found that every cell in the body, and there's 20, I think 26,000 different types of cells in the body, some number like that, they all reproduce only 50 times as far as they can tell but they don't do it equally they don't they don't they're not doing it at the same time heart muscles might be faster other cells are 
slower, but it sort of reaches the limit of everything by the time you're 120. And we only have one person on record where there's actual valid records of birth who has lived 120. She also lived, she also, she got to 122. She died, a French woman who died about 10 years ago. And that's uh-huh. the only person in the, I mean, there's all these claims, you know, you know, around the world, the people who lived at 200 and 300 and everything else, but they don't have any valid records, which actually establish that. So anyway, but, wow. but, but most people don't get to 120. <laughs> right. No, they, exactly. They, yeah. I mean, even if you only got to 120, I said, even if you only got to 120, I said, well, that, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're an entrepreneur and you're at top of your game at at 60 and you're saying, oh, I guess I have to retire pretty soon. Well, the oh, wow. decision to retire is sort of telling your body, it doesn't matter how long the body lasts now. I mean, it can go really quickly. But if yeah. I know I'm, I'll be 80 next May. And if I know that I can stay in top form for another 25 or 30 years at the top of my game right now, then that's a big deal. Yeah. I look at, I saw a meme, Bob Barker died earlier this year at 99. And the thing that was going around was that he got to as close to 100 as he could without going over. (laughs) (laughs) Thing to the big showcase showdown got as close to 100 as you can get without going over. Yeah. Well, you know, George Burns, the immediate, very famous mid century, 20th century, you know, 40s through mm-hmm. till the 80, 80s or 90s, he had a goal that he was going to do a full show at the Palladium in London, big venue in London, England. And he did it, and then and and I always gave him as an example because he was performing full time in his nineties, and then did yeah. the actual hundredth birthday. And then he was in his shower about four weeks later. He slipped, broke his hip, and he died two weeks later. And I said, mm-hmm. George, you didn't understand what you did. You should have set another date for when you were one hundred and ten. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, isn't that amazing? No, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a. You've been programming yourself for 156 for as long as I've known you. Since 1987, yeah, since 36 36 years right now, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of you know you're just approaching or just at the halfway mark there, (laughs) ramping up, gaining speed, gaining momentum. Well, people say, do you really think you're going to live to 156? And I said, I know I won't if I don't have it as a goal. Amen. Well, Dan, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Well, not (laughs) me. Everybody who ends up with my messes after I'm gone. (laughs) You know, when I'm gone, what do I care? Exactly. (laughs) That's the point. I love that. I I laugh. I tell people that all the time when you said the, just for you, it's just going to be live, live, test pattern. There you go. You're not going to experience the disappointment. Yeah, you know, and there's a great French philosopher from the 1600s named Blaise Pascal. And there's yeah. a Blaise, there's a Pascal wager. And he oh, says, okay. you know, when you think about it, all of us regarding if there's anything after this life, it's a guess. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a guess and right. it's a bet. And he says, but let's just take a look at the two bets. There's nothing after you die. Okay. 
Okay, yeah. well, that's cool. And the other one is there's a whole other world after I die. And he says, uh-huh. it's not so much which makes the best sense after you die. It's what bet makes the sense right now. Because uh-huh. if you think that there is a whole world afterwards, and it turns out there's nothing, well, you have really haven't lost anything because, <laughs> you know, there's nothing. But what yeah. if you believe your whole life there isn't anything after death, and then you find out that there, there, and they right. said, well, you know, and you said, geez, if only I had, oh my God, if I had known this. <laughs> and he uh-huh. says, believing there's a afterlife is a much better bet psychologically and emotionally for right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So wow. I'm kind of mm-hmm. a, I'm a kind of a Pascal wager kind of guy. That, I mean, it's so... But uh, back then, everybody, you know, lived a life that took the natural course. You know, I mean, living mm-hmm. to 60, 60 and 70 in those days was kind of an achievement with all the different ways you could die back then, disease and, mm-hmm. you know, and violence. Unless you and, were, unless you were Methuselah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but birth records, no <laughs> census records. <laughs> no documentation you know. <laughs> on uh, Methuselah. No, I'm sorry, Methuselah. I'm sorry, but uh, where's your, come on, where's your papers? <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. Every time I think about Methuselah, yeah. I think about our Aubrey, Aubrey de Grey. Yeah. And the Methuselah Prize. Have you heard any updates on that? I've kind of lost the past. No, I saw a video of, I saw a video of him talking and I got a feeling that living, living, two or three times more than natural, but not being happy right now is probably not a good bet because I didn't get mm-hmm. the sense that he was a happy, I didn't get the sense that he was a happy person, you know? So, I mean, you you never know. I mean, people who never smile right. aren't necessarily unhappy and people right. who smile all the time aren't necessarily happy. You know, I mean, happiness yeah. is an internal, disp- it's an internal disposition. Yeah. You know? But anyway, you know, I'm just reporting back. I'm sort of a bit of a trailblazer in relationship to this stuff. But I'm only, Mm -hmm. I will tell you, Dean, I was thinking about this when I was in Buenos Aires, that if I didn't have that goal of living to 156, I wouldn't be doing this stuff right now. Yeah, that's true, right? You're already in, uh, traditionally, if you speak about like... uh, I'm beyond refund right now. That's what I mean. You're out of warranty right now. You're in extra innings in terms of actuarial (laughs) tables. You're an actuarial outlier. Yeah, but I'm really a profit center for the insurance companies. Mm -hmm. It's just been been me paying them. It's just been me paying them up until now. (laughs) I I love it, man. It's so so great. I think think that's one of the great things of being alive at this time in particular just all the access to these things that's only going to get better as we understand. I remember when I went to the first, the first abundance 360 and Richard Rossi's friend, Gary Kaplan was there Mm -hmm. with us. I think you've met uh, Dr. Kaplan too. Oh no, Gary, Gary. Yeah. Gary, you know, I see him every, I see him at every Da Vinci 50 meeting. Yeah. He's a great guy. He's there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really. I went to the Galapagos. I went to the Galapagos Islands with Gary, so we had a lot of time to talk. So okay. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. Well, I remember when this was. So this had to be 
almost 10 years ago, right? Nine, nine years yeah. ago. Anyway, the first Abundance 360, not the very first one, the first one in LA at the yeah. Beverly Hills Hotel there. And, you know, I was sitting with him and he was saying, you know, when you look at all the medical advancements that are coming right now, this was back then, he said, it's going to, it's going to seem like we've been throwing rocks at people to get them healthy, you know, <laughs> compared to what's yeah. actually coming. I mean, when yeah. you describe what, you know, regenerative, and that's a good word that's kind of become, you know, newly minted regenerative medicine is mm-hmm. all the thing from on a cellular level, regenerative, regenerative replacement. You know, we're pretty much going to be able to replace everything. Or repair it, or repair it. Yeah, so. re- replace, repair, regenerate, right? Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I like. Well, that. I think the I got involved with Peter Diamandis in. I'm just trying to think. There, it was December of 2011. The first before a 360 meeting. We didn't have a name for it, but this was in Silicon Valley. And one of the things that sort of connected. Peter and Peter and me was really the fact that we both had this commitment to living way beyond normal age, you know, but I had a thinking process. Of course, it's the first hour of strategic coach, which is the lifetime extender. And Mm -hmm. he came in at that time. And I said, you know, it's not a goal you can achieve unless you can normalize it as a normal thought. I said, you know, our brain and our brain really resists abnormal thoughts. We It has to be normal. So I set myself the goal in 1987 that every time I thought of my lifetime, I would just think 156, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that time, life expectancy for males, you know, of my background and, you know, the thing was 78. So 156 is twice. And so it took me about three years before it was just a normal thought. So whenever I, you know, I'm pushing 80 now and, you know, and I says, well, what's my lifetime? I said 156. So at 80, that makes me very ambitious because I know I've got, in my own mind, I've got way, you know, enormous amounts of time left, really twice a life. 76 years, uh, yeah. Yeah, I got 76, 76 years to get things done. So it makes me totally confident about starting new big, new big things. And <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> your whole life is either happy or unhappy based on the kinds of conversations you're having with yourself. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, you realize I was realizing I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, this straddling of the mainland and cloudlandia and those thoughts then brought me into the actual game, which is Deanlandia is where it all <coughs> happened. And I realized that how much of, you know, Deanlandia is affected by the input and the circumstances and the contexts and relationships and conversations and environments that you voluntarily put yourself in, you know, surrounding yourself with the environment that's going to shape people. Yeah, people. I mean, yeah, 
And I just had a thought, and that was triggered by your Dean Landia, that I only have direct access to one human being on the planet, you know, and same goes for you. And a lot mm-hmm. of people spend their life this. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people spend their life trying not to be, not to deal with the one person they have direct access to. You know, mm-hmm. they're hoping they're going to be well, safe I- from the person. <laughs> they hope something else will save them from the person that they're actually <laughs> inside of. And, uh, you know, so so my my whole point is, why don't you just take ownership for the the relationship that you have just with this one person? And, you know, and there's new dimension, there's new dimensions presenting themselves all the time. And and the other insight I had, and it comes from our conversations, because we're We've got a very similar approach to life on a lot of different fronts. And I was thinking, you know, I've been trying to control my brain. Uh, Up until I think about two years ago, I was going to control my brain and, you know, make sure my brain was focused on this and that. And I said, why don't we change the relationship here and take for granted that, one, I have no control over my brain. And the other thing is, why don't we just See where it goes every day because it's totally unpredictable. Uh, I, I spent one day and just sort of logged in where my brain was going that day, and there was absolutely no predictability to whatsoever. And I said, "Okay, why don't we just? I'm just going to do it. Deal with my brain wherever it goes during that day. I wanted to do three useful things for my plans." <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, you can go anywhere you want, but by the end of the day, I want progress on this, I want progress on that, and I want progress on that. Okay, and just have fun, you know, do whatever you want, but by the end of the day, if you and I are going to sleep happily tonight, you know, <laughs> uh, I got to see progress on these three things. Oh, my goodness, Dan. That's so funny. You know, it, it's like I've been having these exact conversations with myself here. It's like taking over the management, you know, it's all in that vein of, you know, imagine if you applied yourself, your SELF, uh, yeah. these things of taking over the management, you just, you hit it on the head that I only have direct control over one human on the planet, and that's me. And <laughs> I, I thought about entering, and I realized that my brain, my desires, my ambition, my, you know, vision the visionary in my my brain here is not necessarily the one in control of the the doing part of my brain the, the labor management versus labor right and so i was thinking about i i heard one time that there's a form of contract where a you know production will enter into a contract with an actor or a celebrity that with their company on an FSO contract, which is for services of. So it would be enter. So I thought it's kind of like entering into a contract with my brain here for services of Dean Jackson and thinking what you just said is like those, if I could just like allocate time and attention 
just you know i've i've thought a lot about your thing of three three things today how how much i'd love to hear from you how on a buffer day when you are uh, i don't know how you define whether buffer day or focus you've got workshop focused days where those are like you know, the bobsled run kind of thing that Ned mm-hmm. Hollowell talks about. You know what's happening on a workshop day. You yep. get up and I'm sure yeah. your car arrives at a certain time and you get taken to the workshop and everything is or my there. Computer, or, or my computer does because some of them are virtual. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then, but on the days where I never struggle with those. I realized that everything that I do get done has that external exoskeleton or that scaffolding to make sure that gets done. If you're just in the right, all you have to do is, you know, get in the car and the rest of it is taking place or open up the computer and sit down and you're, you know, you're able to focus and deliver the workshops. But I'm curious about your free range time where I I think I may have like inadvertently, you know, I I crave and do a lot to carve out big blocks of uninterrupted time only to end up having nothing to show for it (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I don't get myself (laughs) to sit down and do the things that I've carved out all this time to do, you know? Yeah. And so I'm yeah. curious how, what your experience is on the, you know, getting Dan to do stuff that requires his own batteries, I guess. I'd love to hear your Here again, I think we're very, I think we're very similar. And I think that's why our podcasts are so enjoyable because, you know, to a certain extent, neither of us wants it to end <laughs> when we mm-hmm. you know, when we get going. But I have one one of our models in Strategic Coach is a theater model, which is front stage, backstage, and and front stage is really whether you have a viable company or not. It's your front stage, your profitable front stage impact is you know what determines whether. You're getting paid to take care of everything else. And mm-hmm. I don't have to be motivated for front stage impact, you know, and workshops is an example, podcasts is another example, creating mm-hmm. new thinking tools is another example, and writing books is another example, or videos or audios. So these are all front stage. In other words, if I can get this done, then it has a multiplier impact out in the world on other people and that either me directly interacting with the world or our coaches or our team mm-hmm. members interacting with the world and it ends up in profitability okay <clears throat> so those are my focus days but some of the days that are not focus days i have to be preparing for those days okay but anytime yeah. I think of front stage impact, preferably, I don't need to be motivated to do that. I love doing it. Right. Okay. Me and, too. And that's mm-hmm. my use. And that's my usefulness to myself. That's my usefulness to you know everybody I engage with. But just going back to my decision, you know, over the last two years, 
of just letting my mind wander when I'm not directly engaged in front stage impact activities, my brain can do anything at once. It can go anywhere. And, and, and so I don't really care. Before I used to care, you know, I'm not making use of my, you know, my, you know, my front stage, my back. I'm not making, yeah. I said, leave it alone. Just let it go where it wants to go. Let it run, you know, let it, let it go out and fro- let it go out and frolic, let it explore and everything else. Yeah. I really run. And so, so I, I mean, it took me till, you know, practically age 78 to come to this agreement with my brain. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm either in hyper-focus actually doing the things that make money and, you know, spread the reputation and, you know, and do all sorts of good things, or it's free mm-hmm. reign. I, I really, do, I really don't care. And that, to me, is, uh, what it does, mm-hmm. it, it frees me up from the tyranny of time and effort. Okay. Okay. That uh-huh. you're absolutely maximizing the use of your time. I said, I don't care. I don't care about my time and I don't care about my effort. As long as I make a front stage, a profitable front stage impact, if it takes me an hour to do that, then it's an hour. If it takes me, you know, a full day workshop, then it's a full day workshop. But I don't really care about the time and the effort. I just really care about the impact. And then backstage, Mm -hmm. I just say, you know, brain, go and do whatever you want to do. Think about anything you want to think about. And I couldn't care less. You don't have to justify your existence. My brain doesn't have to justify its existence when it's not on stage. That's very interesting. When you're creating like a new tool, for instance, you you introduced a tool on Friday for our uh, pre-built connection call. Yeah, your melt tool. And how what's happening? How does that come about? What what's your process for that? (laughs) If that's one of the one of the key outputs that you're providing is new IP and thinking mm-hmm. tools mm-hmm. for the thing. Yeah. So how, how does that come about? If your mind goes, you, you mentioned you've read uh, Peter Zion's uh, book uh, seven times now. And yeah. out of yeah, this, the end of the world, the end of the world is just the beginning. I think it's the most important book in the world right now. And I read wow. it seven I mean, times. So it's Peter Zion, Z-E-I-H-A-N. And the book uh-huh. is called The End of the World is Just Beginning. And he's written, this is the fourth book that he's written since mm-hmm. 2014, where yeah. he's just predicting that everything we were expecting to happen 10 years ago yeah. ain't going to happen that way. And a whole new world is mm-hmm. going to happen. And he's got very mm-hmm. plausible readings. I'm not going to... Uh, explain the book here, but it had a profound impact on me. But it seemed to me that he was operating at a macro geopolitical level. And I said, well, Mm -hmm. what's, is there a simple sort of set of gauges, if you will, underneath that determines in any place at any time, whether things are moving forward or they're stagnating or they're falling behind. And I came up it just sort of fell out of his, he he doesn't talk about this directly but it after i'd read it you know a whole number of times mm-hmm. it just struck me that it was the cost of four things that determined this and one of them was the cost of money how much does it cost you to get money and that comes mm-hmm. in two forms well how much does it cost you to 
get a loan and how much does it cost you to get an investment? Those are the two main, mm-hmm. you know, the financial vehicles that under underlay growth. And mm-hmm. then, and then your profitability is the third one. I mean, are you making more, are you keeping a lot of what you're making? That's right. One. So mm-hmm. that's savings. And then the cost of energy in all of its different forms and the cost of labor getting really top notch. You have access to other people's skills and how much does it cost you to do that? And then the cost of transportation, because we live in a physical world and to move a pound costs money, (laughs) including your own pounds, you know, Right. and that costs energy. And I just started playing with this. I know we did, I was mentioned on a previous one of our podcasts, Mike Koenigs, I, we did it on that. And I, everybody I talked about it, it had a simplifying effect on their thinking. I said, this is a good tool. That's what I do. If you come up with an acronym mm-hmm. and it's M-E-L-T. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think we're going into a great meltdown next 30 years where everything of those four factors is going to cost more. And you can see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can see it. Uh, all you have to do mm-hmm. is read the news every day. Cost of this is going up. Energy is costing more. Labor is costing more. And transportation is costing more. And I said, so, you know, I think it's a neat way. So what I did is I just introduced a tool to the entre- free zone entrepreneurs just two days ago when you were there. Mm-hmm. And I said, if this is true, let's just suppose that it's true that these costs are going to go up for everyone else, then what's your biggest uh, advantage and opportunity over the next 30 years? And that's just that that would be a thinking tool. And it's, you know, has two qualities. It's a sudden new thought. It provokes your interest, but it brings you right back to what you as an entrepreneur can take advantage of. So those are my criteria for a new thinking tool for a strategic Mm -hmm. coach. But it took me from the time the thought occurred to me to Friday, because that's the first time I did it. It took me six months of playing around with the idea, checking with other yeah. people, you know, conversation. And then just right. looking at the news and saying, is the news going in the direction of the theory, you know? Yeah. And then, so when you, like, to get it to that tool state, that's part of your when you're letting your mind wander, it's so funny, Dan, I've been mm-hmm. talking about this idea of the the self-milking cow, the idea of, mm-hmm. you know, embracing your bovinity and realizing that you're the one that can create the milk. And if you set up an environment like I've, you know, moved towards is that we basically have things divided into three divisions we've i call it the pastures which is me out roaming the pastures you know exploring and being a happy cow and then we have the milking shed and the milking shed is set up for me to come in and be milked essentially to turn my thoughts free range thoughts into you know into digital milk, meaning that we're recording something about my, you know, I'm doing it either through a podcast or through a a Zoom or interview or whatever we've got with my team. And then we have the processing plant where they take 
the digital milk and they process it into podcast courses, tools, uh, anything yeah. like that. So yeah. I'm curious, like your sounds like one of your pasture roaming activities is reading things yeah. like the, uh, like Peter Zion's book and your mm-hmm. six, you know, your of daily input from real clear politics and the wall street mm-hmm. journal and all the things that yeah. you do, you put those all in and then ruminate on them <laughs> and, and then out comes the things when you're turning it into a tool though, are you consciously like, are you starting with like illustration, journaling, doodling? What's your, uh, what's your kind of creation process for that? Yeah, I do because all our tools come in, in one page written, there's boxes and the box, you know, the number of boxes, the kind of boxes you have. So with, with the melt tool, all I did was have, it's called your great meltdown, your great meltdown DOS. Okay. So DOS Mm -hmm. is a previous tool that we have in coach is that in any human activity there, people are responding to dangers that they're fearing loss of some sort. The Mm -hmm. other thing is opportunities where they're excited about the possible gain of something and then their strength, these are the things that they already have going for them. And I said, I think all mm-hmm. human beings every day operate within a unique DOS framework of things that are fearful about, things they're excited about, and things that they're confident about. So what I did is I did a matrix, and matrixes are cool. It's a cool way of structuring where you have mm-hmm. M-E-L-T, money, energy, labor, T. And then I had four arrows going up rising costs. And then down the side, I had danger, opportunity, strength. And then I said to the entrepreneurs, because they're familiar with the DOS, everybody at the level that you're at in coach, the free zone, this is an old tool. This is, you know, 20 years old. And some of you Mm -hmm. have been there 20 years. And I said, so Mm -hmm. from your standpoint, that all of your clients and potential clients, customers are going to have the danger of rising melt costs, what's your opportunity in this? Okay, so what's their, the opportunity with dangers? What's the opportunity, yeah, what's your opportunity with other people's opportunities and what's your opportunity with other people's strengths? And then you go through it and there's another exercise which I won't go into right here and you come back and then you just have a general conversation, you have breakout sessions and conversation and the room goes crazy you know and because uh, everybody's done thinking about their thinking they've talked about their thinking and they come back and they hear everybody else's thinking and that's what produces the workshop but the thing that triggers all this motion is that i have deadlines to create new things yes i got it and that's really how it all comes out and that's i think do you, do you have a sense of what your how much of your time is that free range versus, you know, the structured workshops and stuff? I guess it's getting less or more and more free range. Well, I would say even on my most intense front stage days, uh, still the majority of the day is free range. And then when I don't have that type of thing, it's all free range. Yeah. But what I found, yeah. 
without a commitment to someone else to deliver something, giving myself yeah. deadlines is worthless. Yeah, me too. I've discovered that about me. I, I, giving myself a backstage free-range deadline. Well, first of all, I think free-range and, and deadline is a contradiction in terms. Right. Yeah, this is what I like about the, you know, is doing a workshop or scheduling a milking session. Is I know yeah. that if I've got a milking session scheduled, like I've been going to the studio, yeah, you know, on Thursday mornings. 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And I know that, you know, I'm prepared for being milked at that, at those times, you know, so I'm either doing something myself. Some of the best things that I've done have been just preparing myself to record a state of the union or a new, you know, Mm -hmm. record myself Mm -hmm. as a thought. Now I do find those a little more that I have to, you know, if I, I have to have that time set aside, right? That's how I've been, how I did the Convert More Leads book was I could free range. I get my thoughts together for this section of the book. And then I go and talk that out. So it gives me that structure. One thing that I have realized and that's been very helpful is this idea that reality, you know, the mainland, the real world here, applying yourself moves at the speed of reality, which is 60 Mm -hmm. minutes per hour. And then if I'm going to embark on a project that's going to take 20 hours, that there's no possible way to allocate or put in those 20 hours without actually putting in the 20 hours and that I can't do it (laughs) all at once. So the only thing I've got an infinite, I've got an infinite opportunity list of all of the things that I could possibly do. But what I've been experimenting with that's very helpful is just loading in my next 10 hours. What if I, what, Mm -hmm. what can I do in the next 10 50 minute focus sessions that I have, you know, that's really, that narrows it. It helps me prioritize and make a decision, which is the first step of, you know, my acronym of playing golf, a goal, optimal environment, limited distractions, fixed timeframes. So a goal is the decision of what am I going to do at Tuesday from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock? I've got two Mm -hmm. potential hours that I can allocate there. And Mm -hmm. what am I going to do in those times? You know, that's really been a big help. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and I've got a reputation that goes back, certainly the full extent of the coach program, which goes back, I mean, will be 35 years next November. We're in our 35th Mm -hmm. year of the coach program. Dan always delivers. Yeah. And I have a absolute commitment to never in any way undermining that reputation. So whatever it takes, Dan always delivers. Okay. Me too. Uh, uh-huh. And, you know, if you handle that, whatever it takes to deliver, you know, life gets real simple. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's sometimes you've seen that illustration of the, uh, you know, <laughs> assignment <laughs> made. 
accepted deadline here, this timeline, and then the little 5% at the very end and the 95% all allocated as goofing off and then 5% all the work done while crying, no matter what, yeah. it's still done, you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 because your your entire reputation is yeah. just in terms of commitment that you've made to other people. Yes. And I think that so, our ability to our, our ability to always deliver, I think, has really been uh, you know honed because of our the requirement of us always pulling a rabbit out of our hats growing up. I think yeah, even in any yeah, assignments or yeah. anything like that, yeah. we've gotten really good at improv theater. You know, yeah. Well, I think the other thing is. If if that's true, the, uh, you always deliver. Then mm-hmm. what uh, what people can't see about that? Are you happy with Are you happy with the time you spend that other people can't see? And I would right. say that I'm up about one thousand times over the last thirty years. Um, mm-hmm. That I'm I'm really happy with the free range time. I'm really happy with all the work backstage that I have to do. You know, mm-hmm. I used to be grueling, you know, it was working nights, it was working weekends under severe pressure. And that's not true anymore because I've got a sense of the, you know, the framework of a project. I got the sense of the timing of the project. And I said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and then, you know, I've kind of worked out what the deal is with my brain. My brain always delivers at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I says, well, there's two of us that always deliver. My brain, mm-hmm. I, if I set the my brain, three things by the end of the day have this solved. I don't care what you do. You're not accountable for any of your time. But by the end of the day, I want these three things delivered. And then I've got my commitments to deliver front stage. So I've just yeah. worked out a two-way deal here. I love it. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, Dan, I never. Yeah, I think uh, we're. I think we're. I think we're kind of cosmic soulmates. You know, both the payoff and the problem. I think we both of us have tried similar landscape in terms of coming to grips mm-hmm. with ourselves. I agree. Yeah, I find these conversations right. infinitely one interesting. One takeaway one take that you got from today, and I'll tell you mine. So that's my big takeaway for today. It's given myself permission to just roam the pastures to enjoy <laughs> my free range as long as I just hold up my end of the bargain, right? That's, mm-hmm. That was a that was a night. Nice, I got a lot out of that. Yeah, and I think that I do really interesting podcasts also with Shannon Waller, which is called Inside Strategic Coach. And people mm-hmm. always want to know, our clients especially want to know, how we do what we do backstage. And I'll just yeah. drop this as a topic for her because mm-hmm. I think this, that the greatest tension that entrepreneurs have is not front stage, that the greatest tension is backstage. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, I'm, I'm uh, excited about next week and yes. back again, even more conversation. I look forward to it. Thanks, Dean. This is really great. Thanks, Dean. Okay, I'll talk to you next time. Bye.